Look, Shravya, I know. I know what I'm, what I'm about to say is like completely, totally crazy. But get this. 2020 wasn't all that bad. Josephina, I don't know what you're talking about. There was the pause of the ATP and WTA tours, the Djokovic default incident, all that stuff that happened in the ATP afterwards, and pretty much everything else that could have gone wrong in the tennis world did go wrong. You see, maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe. Well, it is. But the point is that there was other stuff too. Like, for example, there was a bunch of humanitarian efforts from people in the tennis world to help not only stuff that involves tennis, but other things like bushfire relief, the BLM movement, and other things like that. So I think that's pretty cool. So are you trying to say that there are some positive things we can shed light on in the tennis world this year? Yes, the tennis world isn't out for the count. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Josefina and Shravya. Shravya and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Josefina and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics, united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the young female voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for. So we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. So today is December 23rd, and we this is our new episode of Hold On To Your Racket. And this episode is focused on the humanitarianism in the tennis world of 2020. We also have a very special guest with us to discuss his work with an organization you may have heard of called Acing Autism. So Acing Autism is an organization that was founded in 2008 and it provides athletic and social opportunities for children with autism spectrum disorder through affordable tennis classes. So it's totally volunteer driven, nonprofit, um, and it's also supported by some people in the tennis world like Bradley Klon, Vanya King, and Pam Shriver. So today, we have the opportunity to speak with one of the program directors for Acing Autism, Tom Twett, who runs the Acing Autism program at the USTA Blaging King National Tennis Center. So Tom, could you introduce yourself for our listeners? Yeah, hi, my name's Tom Twett from uh, National Tennis Center. Okay, I'm basically the program director for um, the Acing Autism program. And also, I'm a tennis pro and tournament director there as well. So. I have a lot of experience, um, let 20 years in tennis. So last five years uh, was with acing autism. So it's been an exciting ride and uh, you know, I love doing it. And uh, the pandemics uh, held us back a little, that's about it. But otherwise it's going pretty well. So you said that you've been playing tennis for a while and started with the organization five years ago. So what um, drove you to start working with the organization? Well, we were looking for somebody to, you know, head up the program that had, uh, you know, good interpersonal skills. And uh, my boss uh, said, would you be interested? And I said, uh, yeah, I would be interested. I'd I'd love to take on the opportunity to do that. And I went to some conferences and learned about it a bit. And it's just been very fulfilling, okay, with volunteers. It's like uh, Shravi was saying, a volunteer-based organization. And it takes all volunteers to uh, make it go, you know, so. But uh, like I said, I've loved every minute of it so far. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue a while. And that's about it for now. 
So before COVID, what did your typical um, day-to-day or weekly work for the organization looks like? So how did you organize the program or the classes and work with them on a larger level? Right. Um, well, just to, yeah, it is a large program. Okay, first of all, just uh, I wrote a few notes here that they have like 80 different, 88 different sites in 30 states. So it's a big, big organization. And we have to format around uh, the plan they give me to, you know, format lessons. And so what I do is I'll tweak them. I have a lot of experience teaching, so I, I'll tweak the lessons that they give me. We use flashcards um, so the kids can see, you know, better visually. A, a lot of the autistic kids are visual learners as opposed to verbal learners. I mean, they're both, but they seem to respond more to visual stimulation than than not. So we have to give them a lot of you know, stimulation there, so. So um, you said that one of the challenges was figuring out how how to teach them best, but how have you seen tennis actually benefit the kids, both athletically and socially? Well, benefit the kids, uh, we're giving an organization or a group of people, um, autistic kids, okay, the chance to socialize, play, exercise. A lot of the parents tell me that the exercising part is really needed because sometimes they say they don't exercise as much as they should at home. This uh, forces them to get out and play. And you know what's rewarding is that uh, they always say, the parents always come up to me and say, they can't wait to get on the tennis court, you know, with you guys and the volunteers. It's like a family. You know, we're almost become like a, a tight knit family. And uh, I feel bad because in March we were s- sort of separated from that. We were rolling you know, our program had 25 kids and we were rolling and it got stopped sort of midstream with the COVID thing. So it's, uh, you know, so that's where we're at now. And, uh, you know, we're doing okay. We're doing all right. So on that same note with, you know, COVID and stuff, so how have operations changed since then? Like I know there was a virtual clinic series that the organization put together, but um, since most things can't be in person right now, how have you guys adapted to that? Right, we uh, immediately went to virtual. Uh, what's nice is the home office is in Los Angeles. Uh, Richard Sperling's our, our founder, and uh, he developed a, a plan, you know, of uh, lessons and contests. So we'll, we'll give them a bunch of lessons, like every, I think two weeks, they would get a new lesson. And they're gonna be starting that in the new year as well. So they're getting new lessons. Um, you know, still not like uh, live, you know, one to one, you know, interaction, but, you know, we're doing the best we can with that and because it's very hands on with these with this population. Uh, when we're giving lessons, we're actually, uh, you know, we may physically show them how to do it by, you know, holding their arm, not in COVID, though, but before that, we, we have to actually show them and the volunteers are very helpful with that. And uh, as I said, the organizational, uh, you know, as I said, based in LA, so. So like from what I hear, the organization is very personal work, especially for the volunteers, like it's hand on, like a hand on experience, but what are your fondest memories working with Acing Autism? Oh, fondest memories? Um, Well, just uh, one in particular, it really, really struck me when I, I think it was my, second year we've been working with kids and father calls me on the phone and says uh you know tom i have a six-year-old and he's like he's in a shell and uh, you know we can't get him out of it 
you know, just very withdrawn. And I said, well, you know, because I don't know if this program's going to work for him, but I want to give it a shot. He wasn't very hopeful at all. And so he brought him down. And the first couple times, uh, the boy was just a little bit, uh, you know, a little skittish. And then by the second class, he was a little less skittish. And then uh, by the third or fourth class, due to actually volunteers um, and myself, he sort of broke out of his shell. And his father almost fell on the ground, okay? He broke out of his shell, started talking to us and interacting with us interacting with everybody, hitting tennis balls. He was, um, he was a different person. And the father, uh, the father actually, I think he did fall over almost when he, when he saw that. And that, that's rewarding for us if we can make a difference, you know, uh, with, with, uh, you know, with any of the kids. And I think every kid that comes to our program, we do make a difference. Uh, as I said, I think the parents sum it up. They say, you know, my kid can't wait for this. Every, you know, he gets up early, he does this, he does that. And these are special needs kids, and uh, I think we're doing them a great service, you know, by, by doing this. Um, you know, some kids we put on scholarship, some, you know, some kids will pay, but it's only, it works out to about $20 per class, something like that. So, and, you know, we're doing well. As I said, the, the COVID's, you know, uh, stopped us a little bit, but, you know, they've been learning online as, you know, as best we can do at this point. And we're looking forward to getting them back in. Um, after this second wave, you know, in person, I think it's important that we do that. Yeah. So how can people, especially like teenagers or high schoolers like us, get involved with acing autism? Um, perhaps it's probably easier to do that when things start to return to normal, but how, how can people contribute? Yeah, actually volunteers, uh, very important, okay. What they can do is the first thing is sign up on the Acing Autism site. It's uh, acingautism.org. Um, that's uh, the site they can sign up for. But the volunteers um, are unbelievable, okay. And what's the benefit is like a win-win-win situation uh, because the kids that come are mostly high school, you know, and uh, tennis-driven. Some aren't. But I'd say about 70, 80% are, are tennis. And uh, what they do is they, the volunteers provide the emotional support for the kids. And uh, what happens is the high school kids get credit. They get credit for their, um, their service. And also I've helped, I've wrote letters uh, to colleges. You know, they use on their college applications as references and things that they did. and during their high school years. And I think acing autism looks great on, uh, on a resume and also on like a, a you know, college app as well and extracurricular. And, uh, and what the thing is, most of the kids love it. They come and they, uh, they, they stay with it. Volunteers, like mostly high school kids, um, some older, but mostly high school kids. And they're very uh, anxious to, to learn and to get involved with these kids. So it's, it, it's rewarding for me for them and it's like seems like a win-win situation for everybody yeah that sounds awesome because I know volunteering like from my experience that I've had it's always been like a two-sided thing like I'm getting as much as whatever I'm volunteering for so I think it's really great to see that it's the same going on with acing autism because it's really important for everybody to be getting something out of the experience and it seems like that's really something huge that acing autism is able to provide 
Right. No, it, it is good. And as I said, it's a, it's a win-win for, for everybody because the kids that are involved uh, really love what they're doing. And they, they want to come back every week. It's not like, oh, I got to get up. It's like we, we go from 8 to 10 a.m. So it's a tough hour, but we still have volunteers, a bunch of them showing up at quarter to eight to help me set up the court and do this and do that. And, you know, as I said, it becomes like a small family and it, uh, everyone's sort of tight and, uh, you know, volunteers may come and go, but um, their experience usually, uh, they won't forget the rest of their lives, I don't think. I guess our last question would be, um, what's your biggest takeaway from working with acing autism for these past five years? Uh, well, it's been rewarding for me because um, I had never worked with autistic kids before or special. Well, I had worked with some special needs kids, but a little bit. But uh, the rewarding thing is, is giving them a platform to play, interact, socialize, exercise. Uh, it's so many things. And the parents keep telling me that there's so many things that you guys are doing here that, that they love. They just want to come back every week and play and this is uh, across the sites across the countries it, it, it uh, all the different sites are you know it's this um, family type type unit all right um well thank you so much for joining us um i'm sure uh, well i hope a lot of people have learned some more about acing autism and are encouraged to volunteer especially when things go back to normal um so yeah Anything, if there's anything else you'd like to add, go right ahead. Uh, well, yeah, just the thing is there, you know, the thing is like the volunteers, um, you know, they can sign up online, like acingautism.org, you know, A-C-E-I-N-G, uh, autism.org. And also um, we're funded, uh, we don't get a lot of funding, but we get a lot of support from, um, you know, some companies. Um, like head head sponsors us for rackets and things like that um but yeah we just need people to uh you know do their thing you know so but uh that's about it thanks so 2020 has been a difficult year and there were also challenges in the world of professional tennis as well of course as we've seen throughout the past 12 months but there have also been some highlights in terms of the ways that professional tennis players actually stepped up to the plate and, you know, acted in their humanitarian spirit and actually um, faced some of these challenges and contributed in any way that they could throughout the year. So we're going to go all the way back to January before the pandemic was the main issue in everyone's mind and how some players contributed to the events happening at that time. Yeah, starting with Nick Kyrgios and his bushfire relief campaign. Prior to the Australian Open, he tweeted that the Australian Open should hold some sort of exhibition or something to raise money for bushfire relief. And added to that, he pledged to donate $200 per ace he hit. And we know that Kyrgios is not a joker about aces. And he started his campaign at the ATP Cup. Other Australian players followed, like Sam Stoser, Alex Demenor, John Millman, and John Pierce, a doubles player. And he even aspired athletes in other sports, like basketball and cricket, to do the same. Kyrgios ultimately inspired the Australian Open to implement the Australian Open bushfire relief campaign. And, talking about that other tweet from before about the exhibition... 
they actually held one called the Rally for Relief event, and this included Caroline Wozniacki, Serena Williams, Coco Gauff, Alexander Zverev, Stepanos Tsitsipas, Naomi Osaka, Dominic Thiem, Petra Kvitova, Novak Djokovic, and Rafael Nadal. So you can see it's quite a star-studded event right there. And during that event, Nadal announced that he and Federer would donate an additional $250,000 towards bushfire relief as a joint donation. So we love that Fadal action. Yeah, I think Nick Kyrgios did a great job here of kind of inspiring the tennis world and beyond to take action and do what they can to support bushfire relief. So moving on a few months later, once the pandemic had hit, the um, Women's Tennis Association, the WTA, actually launched their WTA for Love campaign. So um, WTA Charities, which is kind of like the WTA's section of, um, well, charities, announced this campaign in late April. And the WTA for Love campaign basically aims to support communities that have been affected by COVID-19. So some of the charitable acts they did were donating masks and PPE to hospitals and also working with schools to support online learning. And a bunch of players took part both with the campaign itself and through other individual actions too, um, like Madison Keys, Vanya King, Bianca Andreescu, Victoria Azarenka, Coco Gauff, many others. And a really interesting one also is that Elise Cornet's coach, uh, Sandra Zaniuska, she actually launched her own initiative called Rackets for Coronavirus, and that aims to release money for PPE for healthcare workers in Poland, which is where she's from. So it's pretty nice to see how the WTA also took action and um, launched the WTA for Love campaign, which also inspired a lot of their own players and coaches to take on their own initiatives as well. And next up, we have the Australian Tennis Federation with Ashley Barty. The Australian Tennis Federation donated $115,000 to support tennis in Indigenous communities in Australia. And Ashley Barty, as she herself is of Indigenous descent, is the Tennis Australia's Indigenous Tennis Ambassador. And she visited Queensland for one week to get to know some of the Indigenous tennis players there. She worked with the programs there, funding money, which... And just this entire campaign was great to see because not only was Ashley Barty contributing to tennis as she is part of the tennis community, she contributed to something that is of her own like line, of her own blood. So I thought that was really cool. And we thought that was really cool. So next up, we have Felix Auger-Eliassime. So what he did was in, I believe, February, he pledged that he, was do- he would donate... Um, $5 for every point that he won in 2020 towards education, athletics programs for, um, sorry, education and athletics programs for children in Togo. Um, But then he decided to donate not only $5 for every point he won in 2020, but also every point he won in 2019. So he partnered with um, BNP Paribas and Care France, which is a charity that works for um, global humanitarian efforts to do this. And kind of similar to the Ash Barty um, initiative that she did with Tennis Australia, being Tennis Australia's Indigenous Tennis Ambassador, because that's a cause close to her heart and her community. 
OJ Eliassim kind of had the same thing where he decided to go forward with this cause because his father is actually from Togo. So it was um, really nice to see that he took that step to not only donate money for every point he won this year, but also last year. And he also said he hopes that he can continue this with more tournaments in 2021 um, so that he can contribute even further. I think that's super cool of FAA there. So going on to Naomi Osaka, which is definitely a name we hear a lot when we hear the name, the word humanitarianism in tennis. I mean, Naomi and Mary Osaka, her sister, worked with UNICEF to design a limited edition face mask. All the funding went towards underprivileged Japanese youth and UNICEF's COVID-19 relief work. And then, of course, her very well-known work in support of the BLM movement, where she took the stand at the Western and Southern Open that led to that one-day stop or pause in order to respect the movement, and the masks that she wore on her run to the U.S. Open title. And just, we think, I think it's so cool that she was able to wear every single one. And I don't know if that fueled her tennis to get better in order to win that title, but still... Just the fact that they coincided, I think it's awesome. Yeah, and then to cap it all off, um, the ATP has its Arthur Ashe Humanitarian Award, which we thought was perfectly fitting for this episode. And the winner of that award this year was Francis TFO. So he created the Rackets Down Hands Up video. As you might remember, it was circulating around social media a few months ago. He created it with his girlfriend, Ion Broomfield, and it was in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. And he actually had several tennis players featured in the video, like Serena Williams, Joe Wilfred Songa, Coco Golf and Heather Watson so um, that's one example of the work that he's done to raise awareness about the Black Lives Matter movement and his work in social justice but he also worked with um, an organization called Athletes for COVID Relief to also support pandemic relief efforts so certainly a worthy winner of the award so as we end 2020 we did want to look back on some of these more um, positive events that took place this year, ranging from more, you know, community-based efforts with acing autism and organizations like that, but also work that pro tennis players have done. So we do hope that you can carry this positivity into 2021 in the tennis world. You know, think about volunteering with acing autism, speaking from personal experience. It is very fun and very rewarding, Um, but also making sure that we appreciate the athletes who do take the time and effort to stand up for and contribute to the causes that they believe in. Thank you so much for joining us and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you some fun content during the offseason and, of course, updates on all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore tennis pod on Twitter. Stay tuned for some more fun episodes as the 2021 tennis season approaches. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shavia. That is, if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't like it, please tell your friends my name is Benjamin and Shravi's name is Harry. See you next time.